1 Corinthians chapter number 15, if you would, and I encourage you, it's not too late to get started. If it was December 20th, I'd tell you it's not too late to get started reading your Bible. You may not make it through this year, but it's never too late to get started, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Um, Put your finger there in chapter 15, if you would, and and if you would take your Bible back to the book of Jeremiah, actually, for a... Uh, starting point, and then we'll come back and read the first couple of verses. Uh, adult Sunday school classes, have, we have been going through uh, the uh, book of Jeremiah, and I have thoroughly enjoyed the study. I mean, just picked out some things. But this past week, the end of Jeremiah chapter number uh, 29, uh, got the first, first section of the chapter, uh, those of you who are in Sunday school, you're familiar with the fact that God had said, you know, I want you to build houses, I want you to plant gardens, I want you to have children, I want you to marry, I want you to give your children marriage, you're going to be here in Babylon in captivity for 70 years, okay? And then there were some false prophets that were saying, oh, you're going to be out of here in two years, don't worry about it. And God proclaimed some, uh, some, some uh, destruction, on some of those folks. And you pick up in verse number 21, 22, uh, a couple of the names are listed. But here's what the, the phrase that really caught my attention. In Jeremiah 29, verse 23, and if you look partway down that verse, just the very last phrase, God said this, Even I know and am a witness, saith the Lord. Even I know and am a witness, saith the Lord. And that, my, that thought has been rolling through my mind the last several days since I studied for that Sunday school lesson. And I've been looking at me and saying, God, if God knows me, and he is the witness, and if he were to stand, because the, the context of what was going on in this passage is he had these two prophets who were false prophets. And he said, I'm going to turn them over to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill them. And he said, and you know, we go through this idea, well, who's going to witness against them? Can you imagine God being the one to stand up and say, I am God, I know, I'm the witness, they deserve death. Can I, and so it forced me to think of this question. God's a witness. And what would God witness of my life? And then as I started up with my Bible reading again and went back to some New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. If you'll pull back over there with me to where you've got your finger, and I didn't put my finger in it. But 1 Corinthians 15, pick up with me in verse number 1. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remaineth unto this present, but some also are fallen asleep, or they're dead. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles." And so Paul goes through and makes a great proclamation of the gospel, the the veracity, the truthfulness of the word of God, and the fact that so many people had seen it. But just like Jeremiah was doing pondering himself and what God had said, and God saying, I am the witness, I know you. Pick up with me in verse number 8. Paul rolls from the gospel and the greatness of Jesus Christ and the miracle of the resurrection, and the salvation that Christ's death on the cross presented to each one of us. And as he's giving that list of witnesses and folks who had seen Jesus Christ, he picks up in verse number 8 and said, And last of all, 
he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. He said, I saw Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. When the people around me, all they heard was a noise, they knew something was going on, I heard the voice of Jesus Christ. I looked up and everyone else was blind and I saw the face of my Savior. And He affected me at that point, called me out. Verse number 9, for I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. As Paul writes this, probably some 25 years after he was saved, he says, I'm not, and he, look, he doesn't look back and he say, I'm not, I'm not worthy of being an apostle because of, you know, the, the fact that I struggle in my daily life. He still looks back at the life that he lived before he got saved. And he said right there in verse number nine, because I persecuted the church of God. He said, I can't believe that God saved me. I can't believe that God was willing to do something for me. And then he continues on in verse number 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And upon his grace which was bestowed upon me was not, I'm sorry, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. I'd like you to think on that thought in verse number 10 with me tonight. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then look down the next phrase. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Let me ask you this simple thought. You are what you are by the grace of God. None of us will be going to heaven without Jesus Christ. If you're stand, sitting in here tonight, there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You will spend an eternity in hell because the only way to salvation is for, for by grace are you saved through faith, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But did you catch that second phrase? So we could all say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But did you catch that second phrase in verse number 10? Second phrase in verse number 10 where he said, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. What does that word vain mean? Empty. False. Some of you ladies may have a vanity at home. What is a vanity used for? We don't have them as much as we used to. What's a vanity used for though? Anybody know? There's usually a mirror on the back side of it. It's used for putting on makeup. We put that on there so that we don't present the real us. Times where I have been kicked in the face by teenagers and had a big black eye, Christy made me up, you know. Back in college, I was in a, in a play, and, you know, they definitely didn't want this on stage, you know, so they'd put a lot of makeup on before you get on stage so the lights would reflect and everything would go. We do it because we're putting on a facade, not a reality. And Paul here says, you know what? I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, but I push forward because of this simple fact. I don't want God's grace to be bestowed in vain or in emptiness. And as we start out on this year, that thought, what have I done by the grace of God in my life? Has it been bestowed on me in vanity in emptiness, or has it been bestowed on me and I'm making the very best that I can of it by His strength and by His power? 
Because Paul said in the middle of verse number 10, but I labored more abundantly than they all. You know why Paul did it? He didn't say do it because he said, I want to work harder. I want more rewards for everyone else. He said, because every time I serve God, every class that I teach, every time I walk into a city and they spit on me or they put me in jail or they, they throw stones at me or every time someone bends over and puts their knee on the ground except Jesus Christ is their personal Savior, every time that happens, he said, I realize I don't deserve to be doing this. I don't deserve be saved by Jesus Christ. I can't do anything but give my all to him because of what he did for me. And when you and I keep our, our unworthiness to stand before Jesus Christ, to stand before God the Father in front of us, it will drive us to serve him. Not out of this fact that I have to, but because I love him so much and I can't believe what he did for me. You go to the book of Philippians. And it tells us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for our salvation. It says we're going to work out our salvation. What does it mean to work out? It's this idea that I start pumping iron. Why? Because I want to get bigger muscles. I want to grow stronger. And in the process of that uh, muscle growth, everything, you tear your muscles. And then as, they, as you tear them, they grow back thicker and stronger and full and longer and leaner and whatever else has to happen to depending on what kind of, uh, of workout you're putting in and what kind of efforts you want to do. You know, oftentimes we're afraid for God to do anything bad in our life. We don't want him to tear out one thing, even though when he tears out that, we'll be able to grow back stronger. We say, no, God, don't take that out of my life. I want you to see with me tonight some of the things about the grace of God. I understand that it is 8 o'clock already. I've got three points. I'm only planning on covering two of them, all right? So I'm just, we're going to start right there with that. But I want you to see the grace for salvation. Grace for salvation. We're going to look tonight at, at just these two simple thoughts, grace for salvation and grace for service. If you look, take your Bible, and, and again, all of this is based on the fact that Paul says here that but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. You see, Paul gives every bit of it to God's grace. He says, my salvation is by grace. I am what I am by grace. I, uh, the grace, I don't want it to be done in vain. He said, and then the service that I put in is by the grace of God. He said, there's nothing for it. it it's not me. It's all him. And so if you and I were to stand and say, but God, I can't serve you. You know what you're saying? You're saying the, God, the grace of God is not sufficient. And you are condemning what our God has said, that his grace is sufficient for every one of us and for every task that he lays before us. If you live your life and it's not devoted to him, you're a testimony of someone who says, God, you can't accomplish it. You're holding up that fist in his face and saying, God, I don't believe that you can. We all gathered tonight for prayer meeting. Why did we come to prayer meeting? Because there's people on that list that we know that we can't affect them. We can't touch their body. We can't touch their heart. And by coming here, we were gathering together to say, you know what, we're going to ask God to do something that we can't do. By walking in those doors, you expressed faith in God. By kneeling together in groups and praying, you were showing your faith in God. 
And if God's grace is great enough for salvation, it's great enough to give you the strength to go day by day in service for him. Let me show you a couple of verses about what the grace of salvation did. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7, if you want to flip over there real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Titus chapter 3, verse number 7, says that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Romans 3, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word justify is a good biblical word. You go through the book of Romans, you find it all the place. What does it mean to be justified by grace? It has something to do with our salvation. What does it mean to be justified? You and I are declared sinners by our actions. The moment that Jesus Christ dies on the, died on the cross for us and God placed upon him our sins, God was looking forward to the opportunity to justify us. What We are justified at the moment of salvation. What does it mean to be justified? What? By the blood. What did you say, sister? Found not guilty. God as the eternal judge of the universe, brings that gavel down, and when he slams that gavel down, he does not find us guilty because it's, the price has been play, paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. God's grace for salvation is justifying grace. It's also an atoning grace. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and even that, even the faith, is not of yourselves. And then what's the next phrase? It's the what of God. Gift of God, not of works. Because God knows us well enough, and if we got saved by our own works, what would we do? We would boast. Atonement is another good doctrinal word. Justification, we are declared righteous. What's atonement? Okay. It is the act. Of, what it is is the price has been paid and there's no more curtain between us. Jesus Christ, his sacrifice upon the cross did that. God as judge pulled down that gavel and said they're no longer guilty. God as the one who had been, uh, who had been offended by our sin, all of a sudden the price has been paid by Jesus Christ. And God said there's nothing more owed. Also the Bible tells us that it's an access giving grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16. Let us therefore come unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Anybody got your Bible open? I missed a verse or a word in that verse. Anybody know that verse by heart? Let us therefore come unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. What's it say? Boldly. I belong. I have the right to be there. I walk in, and there's nothing wrong with me being there. And that's what salvation does. It gives us access to God, the access that come on in anytime. As I sit up here on the platform on Sunday mornings, and folks come in a little bit late, I, I always love to, because they, as they walk in, they kind of duck their head just a little bit, like nobody's going to see them if they walk in like this right here. But you know what? If I walk in, and maybe I've been taking care of a ministry or Pastor Weems asked me to go take care of something. When I walk back in, I walk right down the middle aisle and come right up the front 
and sit down in the chair up there. You know why? I belong up there. It's where I'm supposed to be. And once we've accepted Christ as our personal Savior, we are supposed to be at the feet of our Savior, the feet of our great God, asking Him to help us in time of need. Grace gives us that ability. Paul is saying, hey, you know what? I am what I am by the grace of God, and I don't want to waste the grace of God. Listen, if I don't go to God in times of difficulty, I'm wasting the grace of God. If I act like I've got to repay God for what he's done for me, and that's the only reason I serve him is because I'm saying, well, God, you know, I owe, then I'm wasting the grace of God. I ought to serve him because I love him, because I want to show him that love. Now, I don't owe anything for my salvation. My actions will not save me anymore. If I act, if I walk around with my head down low because of sins I've committed in the past that I've asked Christ to forgive me from, and I say, well, I can't ever do that for God because, you know, I, I'm just, I haven't been faithful in reading my Bible. Oh, because I've looked at that on my phone or on my computer. Oh, because I've watched that. I've listened to that. I've said, if I hang my head and I don't get over those, then I'm, then I'm denying the, the justifying grace of God where he gambled on and said, he's no longer guilty. It's done. I'm to leave that sin behind. And I'm to go forward Living my life. Yes, I'm not to fall back into it. I'm not, I, we can't forget that we did those things. But I shouldn't let it cause me to deny the grace of God in my life. Not only do we have grace for salvation, but Paul says we've got grace for service. Because he says there in 1 Thessalonians 15 verse 10, he said that all the things that I do, it's by the grace of God. And so we pick up here with the grace for service. If you take your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. The Bible says in verse number 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I can do what? All things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The word strengthen means to empower or to enable us. That's what God's grace does. We should not say, I can't do it, God, when he calls us to service. How about this? Let's just be honest. I won't do it, God. That's got to be the answer. I won't do it. It should never be I can't because he said, I'll give you the strength, the grace of strength to accomplish what I have for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 10, our theme verse there says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored the more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. What did it do? It allowed him to labor more than everyone else. It built him up. God's grace is a constructive grace. It builds in our life so that we can take some, some talents and some abilities that we had never uh, finalized, that we had never developed. And he says, you know what? You can do that. You can go forward for him. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. It's this idea that I lay a little bit upon a little bit. And if I say I can't grow as a Christian. I can't do that as a Christian. I'm denying the grace of God in my life. And the fact that God wants to take and he wants to build. The kids sing that song. 
he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. There ought to be a sign upon my heart, don't judge me yet, there's an unfinished part. But I'll be perfect just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hand. And yet, we aren't kids anymore. Some of us are 49 years old. Some of you are a little younger and some of you are a little bit older. Can I tell you this? I don't care if you're 130. Don't say God can't keep building in my life. Back in, I think it was 1995, let me turn here. Yeah, um, the Chicago Tribune on February 21st, 1995, Jeannie Calmet of Aries, France, celebrated her 120th birthday. She was verifiably the oldest person in the world at that time and had become somewhat of a celebrity in France. France's Minister of Health came to her birthday party. Three books had been written about her. Medical scientists had researched her life trying to discover the secret of her longevity. They found that for years she had eaten two pounds of chocolate a week. She cooked with olive oil. She took vigorous walks and even rode her bike through the streets of Aries, France until she was 100. At age 110, she said with a good humor, I had to wait 110 years to become famous. I intend to enjoy it as long as possible. By age 120, she was confined to a wheelchair. She said, I see badly, I hear badly, I can't feel anything, but everything's fine. Someone asked her what kind of future she expected. Again, this is at 120 years old. Still displaying her good humor, she replied, a very short future is what I expect for the future. She lived a few more years and died August 4th, 1997 at the age of 122 years old and 164 days. Hey, don't ever quit until the time God calls you home. Be willing for him to be constructing in your life. But can I tell you this? Even a lady who lives to be 122 years and 164 days old, the end does come. And so we can't push off and say, well, I'll let God build me later. We ought to allow the grace of God to work in our life to build him for service now. The third thing is that God gives us in this idea of service. He gives us a teaching grace. Take your Bibles with me, if you would, to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter number 2. And if you go down to verse number 11 of Titus 2, the Bible says this, For the grace of God... Again, here we are, we're talking about the grace. Man, you, you will find grace on all pages of the Scripture. It is there throughout. For Titus chapter 2, Paul writes this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. So there we go. We're talking about that, sal that, uh, that salvation grace. But then he keeps on going with this idea of a grace for service. And he says, what does that salvation grace do for us? It says, teaching us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, we should live righteously, we should live godly in this present world. We shouldn't look back and say, you know what, I could have lived well 65 years ago. Paul was writing to Timothy, or I'm sorry, to Titus, and he said here, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We can blame all of our problems on whatever we want to. But God, who designed you, 
is immediate creation. I believe that when biology happens between a man and a woman, that God creates a soul at the moment of conception. And if God creates that soul at the moment of conception, God created you for His purposes. The Bible says that the fruit of the womb is in His hand. It's His reward. And if you have that purpose in your life, then God created you at this time, at this point in human history, so that you could live for Him now. So that you could deny ungodliness. So that you could live soberly, controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, not by something else. That you could live righteously, showing forth the actions of godliness. And that you should, could live godly to give people a picture of who our Savior and our God are in this present world. And that's difficult to do. It takes effort. It takes, it takes a, lot, a lot of effort. We get so caught up. I've been reading a secular book about, called Scarcity Mind. And it talks about that our minds get caught up. And it, it's written by a guy, guy who has some connections to, to religious. But I, I mean, he uses evolution, all things through it. But he goes back and he's studying the mind and how we get caught by things. And this idea that, that you know, when evolution started, and listen, I, there is nothing. God created this world in seven days and mankind has been on this wor world for somewhere on 7,000 years, okay? But he said that, you know, back in the day, but, and he uses, he uses millions of years ago or hundreds of thousands of years ago, whatever, but basically he looks back and he says, before 1900, Food was scarce. People had to grow what they ate. I don't know about you. I grow a garden, man. If I had to grow on what I ate, I'd die, all right? It wouldn't take very long. I have chickens. I have a garden. I'd starve to death in, in a week and a half flat, all right? Uh, and, but people had to grow what they did. And so we grew up you know, as hunter-gatherers, farmers, and stuff like that. And our mind was always looking for that next meal, that next food, and stuff like that. And that mindset in us has us always looking for what can I have, not food-wise, but also possession-wise. And when things became available, and in the 1950s, the end of World War II, and all the machinery that had been set up to, to produce war machines was now turned to consumerism, and now we have so much out there. And it's all laying out there. And Paul said, you're going to have to deny ungodliness. He said, don't just avoid it. He said, deny it. He said, you can't just pretend it's not there. You've got to deny it. And the grace of God teaches us what it takes to serve God. And the last thing, and we'll finish with this. The Bible tells us that this grace for service includes strengthening grace, constructive grace, teaching grace. And then if you take your Bible with me to Acts chapter number 11. In American culture, we don't like this one right here. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 11, verse 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad, and then catch this next phrase, and he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. What does it mean to exhort someone? Somebody help me out. What does it mean to exhort? It means to encourage them. It means to teach them. It means to tell them. It means to open your mouth and share a message with them. The Bible tells us over in the book of Hebrews 
that we ought to gather ourselves together and provoke one another to love and to good works. Let me ask you this question. What's it mean to provoke someone? Come on, what's it mean to provoke someone? It means to ask them to move forward in the church service and find another seat and watch the steam start to curl out of their ears, you know. Can I just tell you this? It does my heart good to see you all closer together when we're singing to as the Word of God is being preached and you, there's someone right there and you can look at them and say, I don't know about that guy, what he's telling us, all right? There's something to be said for Christians being, being together as we study God's Word rather than spread all over this building where we can't interact with one another. Why? Because church is for the idea of provoking one another to love and to good works. And so that we can see the reactions in one another's lives. And so we can say, you know what, God is doing something here amongst us. And exhortation is exactly that. It's that idea of, I'm going to tell you, and if you don't get it the first time when I say it nice, then I'm going to say it just a little bit meaner next time, all right? I'm going to say it just a little bit louder next time. I'm going to use my dad voice and call you by your first and middle name, all right? And when we use that last name, then you know you're in trouble, okay? But listen. As a Christian, not only does God give strengthening grace, constructive grace, teaching grace, but he gives exhorting grace. And that's that not teacher voice, but that's that voice that's just a little bit more. And Paul, as he's writing there in Acts chapter number 11, as they're out, he exhorted them. And what did he say? That with all purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. What does that mean with all purpose of heart? Paul said it this way. Hey, you've got to give it all to God. And you can't just stand there. You've got to cleave. You've got to hold on to him. I think Paul was getting a little bit excited here. Because it wasn't working when he was just saying it nice and teaching. God's grace is there to teach us to serve him. And to push a little harder when the teaching isn't quite enough. When God has said, man, I've given you all the strength you need. When he says, I built layer upon layer, precept upon precept, word upon word. I built it into your life. Hey, I've taught you what you need. But you know what? Once in a while, you need somebody to push you hard or provoke you. You've got to do that. You need that encouragement. And then we could look at the idea of the grace to go through difficulties, but we'll leave that for some other night. Can I encourage you, as we start off a brand new year, Another time we flip the page on the calendar, it's a time of new beginnings. Don't let the grace of God go to waste in your life. As Paul said, he said, I am that what I am by the grace of God. And he said, I get out there and I serve because I don't want God's grace to be wasted in my life. Got a quote here from a guy from Chicago. He was a pastor. Let me see if I can find it. He was, a, he was a pastor, orator, and a city leader up in Chicago back in the early, uh, early uh, from uh, I think 1880 or so up until, I think he died in 1921. His name was uh, Frank, uh, Dr. Frank Gonzalez, all right? And I just read the quote in a book, and so I had to do some research to find out who in the world this guy was, all right? But he was a political leader, and he, was, uh, he, he actually preached a sermon And in that sermon, he was uh, exhorting the businessmen in his city to get involved in teaching people, you know, to be to be creative and to be involved in their their environment. And in the process of that, you know, he had somebody come and say, hey, if you'll devote the next five years to start a college. 
to help people think and develop. And this is right at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. He said, and, and to better themselves, he said, I'll donate a million dollars to start that college. And so this guy set aside, and he did exactly that. And in fact, he, he uh, was there at the college and it kept it going for, I think, the next 29 years or so until just before his death. But as he was a political leader, as he was a, uh, a thought leader, he put this uh, phrase in one of his books, statesmanship, talking about the impact that we have on the people around us and the leadership that we ought to have. He said, statesmanship is the art of finding out in what direction Almighty God is going and in getting things out of His way. Can I ask you this in your life? Have you tried to get things out of the way so God can go whatever direction He wants to in your life? As you impact the people around you, you're seeking for God's direction and trying to remove every obstacle so that God can have his way in the folks around you. The grace of God is sufficient. We serve a great God. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the time and your word tonight. As Jeremiah wrote, those words, even I know and I and am a witness, saith the Lord. Father, you know our lives today. You know if we are taking the grace of God and striving to make it not vain, not empty in our lives. The Bible tells us whosoever will can come and drink of the water of life freely. God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him. Father, with the acceptance of salvation, comes that responsibility to give back to you our lives, to honor you, to glorify you because of what you've done for us. May the grace of God be evident as we serve you in this upcoming year. In Christ's name I pray, amen.